This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. Hello, Kevin. What can I do for you today? Uh, Evan, first of all, uh, let's just tell everybody that you're the one that decided we were going to have the podcast on Thursday. Well, um, I had a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. First of all, I want to say that when you are making your doctor's appointments, could you Perhaps your many doctor's appointments, may I add, could you perhaps say not on Tuesday? I'm going. Please? I'm, I'm going to change that policy. Yes, <laughs> thank um, you. Uh, but also, you were out of town. True, uh, but I was going to do it on the phone. Yeah. Well, I need you here. I need you on this wall, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about the Rangers and the Mavs on this little podcast. Um, we're going to start with the Rangers because that makes you more comfortable. Uh, and we're going to talk about the, some of the moves they've made. You know, and I was going to write about um, the Corey Kluber deal, but you told me not to, as I recall. You asked if you should do a quick take, and I said, Kevin, I've already rewritten this column three times. <laughs> <laughs> True that. All right. I, I will just tell you that uh, the, the let me give the reader a little, the listener, a little insight into the Workings of the the sausage factory here. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wrote a column um, after the winter meetings, basically explaining here's the things we learned about the Rangers from the winter meetings. Right. And it, uh, it didn't paint a great picture because they had missed out on Rendon, and it looked like they had really kind of uh, like they had kind of undersold the market on those guys. Right. Um, and also, I, I I think it it alluded to the fact that you know you've seen in the last year Martin Perez, Nomar Mazzara. Um, Jurics and Profar uh, all traded away or walked away from. Yeah, uh, Rugnet Odor on the on the brink of losing a job, and, and Ronald Guzman not being able to keep a job. And it talked a little bit about that the, their Latin American program has been successful in getting guys to the big leagues, but not creating stars. Correct. Um, and then all very good, by the way. Uh, and then Saturday, uh. Friday night, actually, started to get word that uh, Corey Kluber um, was in play and um, had to say, all right, well, let me write a column just in case something happens. Um, and and I worked on it, and I worked on it. Couldn't get any kind of confirmation, and that bled over into Saturday. So I had this column kind of ready to go and then um, – uh, went out of the house to do some Christmas shopping with my wife. We went down the street. To First the of CVS. all, why are you trying to have a life? That's a good point. Went down the street to the CVS to pick up some packaging tape because we had to get something to send back to Amazon, which is where we do all our Christmas shopping now. Um, and then uh, walked out of the CVS, and I got a tweet from somebody saying, 
the ballpark is on fire. <laughs> uh, and I responded, what? And he, this person sent me a picture with what appeared to be black smoke or a mushroom cloud appearing over the ballpark. And I looked at Gina and I said, honey, I have to take you home. I got to go to the ballpark and figure out what's it, going it on. It put the fire here. out. So I rush out to Arlington, and by the time I get there, the fire is out. So you could see, you could still see smoke when I was heading down I-30. You could still see some smoke emitting from there, and it, it all looked bad. And, and very fortunately, it, it was extinguished within 37 minutes. Nobody was hurt, but spent the day out there, and that all that all turned into— Talked to a lot of firefighters, did you? I talked to a couple. Um, said, hey, where's the fire? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you don't think they've heard that before? Oh boy, they liked it. They liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, came home and the Kluber thing started. The minute I walk in the house, there Ken Rosenthal had tweeted something else about Rosen uh, about Kluber, and so I rewrote the column again and said, "All right, well, let's get this in, you know, somewhere. Let's get it online. Let's do something with it." And we did. And I I stayed up until about eleven thirty at my computer and on my phone looking for some kind of confirmation about where this thing stood, none of which came. <clears throat> Sunday morning I got up and uh, we were going to go do Christmas shopping, and but we were going to have brunch with um, our, my, my stepson first. And so we went to meet him and um, we sat down at the restaurant and uh, Rosenthal tweeted that there was a that there, there was basically a momentum on the deal. So I spent the entire time at brunch trying to get this confirmed, which I did. And I told Gina, all right, you're going to have to go shopping on your own. So I went back to the house, rewrote the column. Then I said, okay, I'm done. Let's go try and get in an hour or two of shopping. Walk out of the house because I'm sure there's a physical that's got to be done on Corey Kluber. Right. You, th these are all things involved with a pitcher who missed all last season. We get in the car. We go back out down the same street. My phone rings again, and it is John Blake from the Rangers saying, okay, we're going to have a conference call at 2.30 uh, to announce this trade. It is 2.05. So for the third <laughs> time that weekend, I turned around and went home. It's a great job. I love the job. I love the challenges. But there are times when you have to have the most understanding spouse in the world, and, and she was – and it was a crazy weekend, but that's what our that's what our little rangers tend to do to us. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, I will say this: this is my take. And since you, since you wouldn't let me write a quick take uh, about it, um, this is my take on the, all of it. I don't know if any of these guys are going to have the seasons this year that they had, and, and, you, and you have pointed this out, uh, and very and, and very much doing your due diligence and all this. It's a it's a lot to expect. For, for Lance Lynn and Mike Miner to repeat these seasons next year. And it is a, it's a lot to expect that Corey Kluber will go back next year to what he was before last year. I mean, there's a reason why the Indians are saying adios, and they did not demand a king's ransom for him. Uh, so, having said all that, to me, this was a no-brainer. There's no – there's – Almost no commitment here. There's there's one year with an option, and all, all the buyout is is a million dollars on 2021. This was a gift to the Rangers, uh, in my mind. Uh, I mean, I like Delano DeShields. He's as I tweeted, one of my all time favorite Rangers. Just a just a, a great guy, great person, great guy to deal with out there. Didn't I don't know if he's ever going to live up to the player that he he thinks he can be. I, I think the Rangers more than gave him a shot uh, to, to be that. Can't argue that? No. 
Uh, Emmanuel Clase was very intrigued by him last year. Got a real wipeout pitch there. He 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 could really be something. But if, it, if there's one thing the Rangers have shown an ability to do the last few years, it's produce candidates for the bullpen. Now, they haven't ever locked up a closer, which is concerning, certainly. But for me, that's the last of their concerns, is uh, who's going to be our closer. I, uh, listen, if you go back and look at this deal, it's, it's basically um, Class A is a guy headlining this deal. Yes. Uh, and – Anytime you can trade a reliever who is a and, – and Class A was a setup reliever for about a month and a half last year. Mm-hmm. Anytime you can trade a reliever for a front-line starter, mm-hmm. you do it. Potentially front-line. Um, yeah. You have to still operate with the idea that even if Kluber's not as good as he was in 2018 when he won a Cy Young, that he should be a serviceable big league pitcher. And you will take that for a reliever – any day of the any day of the week. Then, when you factor in the fact that okay, if Kluber is who he is, and you can slide Miner to two and mm-hmm. Lynn to three, both those guys look a lot more um, dominant in their roles. And the same applies to the two guys that they signed earlier. Kyle Gibson is a number three. You say he's serviceable as a number four, might be a little bit of a of, of an above average guy. Jordan Lyles in the fifth spot instead of the fourth spot. Again, you're you have something of an asset there, and now you're able to stack up your guys at AAA where you have real depth and options in case you do get injuries and having to rush guys like they did last year because they didn't have any depth last year. I think they were really, uh, really shorthanded on that front. So I, I think it it impacts the pitching staff in in a number of ways. Yes, the easiest way to look at this is say, okay, if all these guys are what they either have been at some point in time in the past or best-case scenario, you've got a very deep top-to-bottom rotation. Um, Which we can't remember any time. No, not, certainly not. The, the, the closest for me would be something like 96, somewhere between 96 and 99, where you didn't have great ERAs in, by any stretch of the imagination, but you had innings. You got a lot of innings from guys like, like Ken Hill in '96 and, and Burkett and Witt. Mm-hmm. That was that was a rotation yeah. that gave you a lot of innings. Right. Um, I, it's it, and listen. It's there's the, nothing the matter with that. Those those teams got to to the playoffs for the first time ever. Correct. And, and so it shows you what that kind of pitching can do. Uh, and, uh, and I think, so, so I, I'm glad we made that point and you have uh, written about it a lot and I have, have not written about it yet. I think Tim made a great point about uh, Kluber in his column, which you allowed him to write, uh, which was where he said uh, that Kluber was also off to a very bad start in 2017. I think it was, uh, and then he ended up winning 20 games. Right. Uh, so he's a, he might be just a slow starter. I'm referring to the slow start he had last year Correct. before he got hurt, got hit by the line drive. Yeah, and, and I mean his slow start, I, I would say more that his slow start was uneven last year. You look back at those seven starts, the numbers vary wildly because of, of the small sample size. But there were three bad starts in there, and there were four more than than, than adequate starts. And, and and I just want to correct one thing. Nobody um, allows Tim to do anything. He just <laughs> he just does whatever he wants. He does it. Uh, no, I just didn't. I, I I think that that yeah. From 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 there where they were on Anthony Rendon 
and having to reposition themselves. I think the idea that they could then swing to this Corey Kluber deal and get this done quickly and, and for the price that they paid, uh, and that is no shot at the line or the shields or Emmanuel Classe. No. But what 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 they were able to accomplish um, gives them – it strengthens what, what they hoped would be a strength for them this year, which is their rotation. And in that division, uh, having a good rotation is – is a real advantage. So, and and they've transformed the rotation from predominantly left-handed, which is a negative in the American League West, into a predominantly right-handed rotation, which should play to their favor. So, a, a lot of things, at least in theory, um, got accomplished. And there's more to do. Um, but this, but this trade, because it didn't strip mine the farm system, allows them to do something else now. And they still have more work to do. Still got to come up with a third baseman. Maybe a first baseman, maybe a catcher. I'm, I'm really not the whole center field. I, I I see so much concern about the center field thing. I really think that this this outfield can be. I'm not talking about from a defensive standpoint, although two of them I think can be very good. But I think it can be one of the most productive outfields in baseball next year. It can be a, pr- a very productive outfield. I'm not that worried about center field. I mean, I think they need a. They probably need another body there. It might be Scott Heineman as a part time guy. Mm-hmm. It might be somebody that they go out and add. Um, but yeah, I, I think third base, and, and let's get into Nolan Arenado talk because mm-hmm. that is where I think the the focus is going to be for the foreseeable future. You think that more so than Chris Bryant? Yes. Um, and there's uh, there's a couple reasons. I, I, I think that um, the, the most predominant one would be this: uh, Nolan Arenado does have an opt out in his contract for two years from now uh, mm-hmm. after the 2021 season. Bryant is a free agent after 2021. Mm-hmm. If you are, to do we know that his is that thing been worked out about his service? No, time? his grievance is still ongoing, and okay. so there is an outside shot that he could be a free agent after 2020, which is another complication. Right. Um, but where Arenado is concerned, there is a um, uh, there is a contract in place. The question is, can you use the 72-hour window uh, that you would be granted um, between the formation of a trade and actually announcing a trade to try and negotiate something with that opt-out? Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, I think it's a huge, it's it's a it's a huge complication, a huge obstacle. But I think it's something that could be potentially negotiated, whether it's a deferment of that opt-out for a couple of years or a complete buyout. I think there are ways around it. So um, <clears throat> that's why I think Arenado holds more interest than, than Bryant does because the Rangers would be going into this with the idea that we would get this guy and control him for, let's say, a minimum of four years. So here's what's interesting to me about all of this. Um is that um, – and you proposed, I saw on one of your, your little mailbags there, that uh, you had a, a proposal for a deal in which you were going to send one of the following, uh, Josh Young, uh, Hans Krauss, um, I would think, Cole Wynn, was that the other one? I would think that the, the headliner to this deal has to be one of four players. It has to be Sam Huff. Or Josh Young on the position player side, or Cole Wynn, or Hans Kraus on the on the pitching side, and then one of those, or one two? of those four, one of those four. Um, 
and I don't think I, I don't know that the Rangers would have a whole lot of interest in giving up two of those four, though I certainly don't know that I would dissuade that from them making this trade if they could make an Olin Arenado trade. Because if you're trading Josh Young, you've got an Olin Arenado. Yes. But if you trade Josh Young, you're also saying you're trading your best prospect. And if you don't have to Yeah, if you don't have then to don't. then don't. Right. Um, and, and I think there was, there's plenty of question out there, you know, whether teams view Huff or Arenado or uh, Young uh, higher. But one, it, it, the, then the trade branches off because if you start with the position player, then the second piece is going to be a pitcher. Mm-hmm. If you start with the pitcher, I think the second the second piece is going to be a position player. Mm-hmm. So it kind of branches off from there. And, and, and guys, I mentioned if they went with a pitcher, I mentioned, you know, maybe you take – Somebody like uh, Nick Solak or Steel Steel Walker or Jonathan Ornelas, an infielder who was a high draft pick a couple of years ago, or maybe even uh, a young infielder named Oslevis Basave. Um, I love the way you say that. Basave. Uh, if you go with a position player, then the Rangers may uh, look at, at, at trying to deal, say, one of their close-to-the-major-league-ready pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Palumbo or Brock Burke or um, Colby Allard or Colby Allard. So, so th- those are the things. And then once you get down to the third level, the third tier of prospect, uh, it becomes a complete wild card. The two names I threw out there were presuming that the Rockies don't go with, with Sam Huff at the top of the, because he's a catcher that they don't take Sam Huff at the top of this prospect. There's two younger catchers, David Garcia and Randy Florentino, who might be of some interest to it to a team there to to kind of round out that trade? Um, it's not. I, there are teams that could give the Rockies a better package. Mm-hmm. It's not. I it don't. Think, it doesn't sound that enticing to me. If I'm the Rockies, I don't think it's a great package. Mm-mm. I think it's a reasonable package, and I think. Listen, what I'm throwing out here may just be something that could be, let's say, a starting point, and it probably needs some refining because I'm not a general manager. Um, no, but you, the range where the Rangers are coming from that other teams probably would not is I think the Rangers have already demonstrated that they're willing to pay thirty three million dollars for a third baseman for the next seven years. Yeah, um, they're willing. I think they're willing to take on the entire contract. And so, if there are other teams involved, if the Braves are involved, if the Dodgers are involved, are they willing to take on those entire contracts? Right. Those teams have deeper minor league systems with sexier prospects at the top. Uh, and, and so if those teams are involved in this, then certainly there's an advantage there. If they're willing to give up those prospects, maybe they take back less money and and make the deal based on prospects. If the Rockies have to move him and it's, it's more about getting rid of uh, the contract and getting a return, then I think the Rangers are more than willing to pay the money that would be necessary. So, yeah, and I think that's all reasonable. And, and but here's the thing that, that mystifies me about all this a little bit, Evan, uh, coming from where we know the Rangers have been. How did all of a sudden this mindset take place? Because if if all this happens, you know, and, uh, and certainly it's already happened with the pitching staff, for the most part, these guys on this staff that they're going to have next season – are guys who are going to be here for one or two years, you know, maybe maybe more than that. We'll we'll see. But it's a very short window, uh, and and if you're investing this much money, where where's the pitching going to come from after that? Are they counting on attracting 
free agents? Is this a sign that the Rangers are going to be players in free agency over the next several years? <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, look, I, I I think the Rangers went into the offseason. I don't think that John Daniels lied or fibbed when he said we intend to be players. Uh-huh. Um, they were willing to go to $100 million on Zach Wheeler. And I think that when you saw um, – projections for Zach Wheeler at the start of the offseason, it was in the five-year, $90 million range. And then I, uh, to that, I think you had to say, okay, it's probably going to go to 100. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chicago White Sox were willing to offer 125. And I think at that point in time, you know, you're saying, is this is this worth it? Because you're paying $25 million for a guy. You're betting on improved performance. But there isn't a track record of, of incredible right. performance there. Right. So on, on that one, um, I, I don't think that I, I see a real um, – that they, they, they their effort came up short. Yes. On Rendon, <clears throat> I think that they probably erred by not starting at seven guaranteed years. Yeah. Because you had to assume that that Washington Nationals deal was still in place, and that was seven years at $210 million. Yeah. And so I thought that was that was the starting place. I think the Rangers probably approached us with the idea we're going to offer six years with a vesting option, and then we're going to be willing to get the seven years. Uh, I don't know if Rendon eliminated the Rangers just because he didn't want to come here. I don't know if he eliminated them because he was offended by the fact that it wasn't a guaranteed seven-year deal. But I do think the Rangers came up a little bit short in that offer. But my point here is they were willing to make competitive offers for both these guys. And I think that going forward, they are going to be willing to um, to be add, adders to this team as, as they move forward. So, But, but here's, here's, my, here's my question because, you know, because John has said repeatedly – that, uh, well, you know, or at least he's implied it, and this is what I've inferred, that uh, we're not going to be giving away our, our, our farm system anymore. Uh, we're going to develop these guys, uh, and we're going to do a better job uh, with that, which that's, that's good, and that's what they should do. Uh, and maybe uh, the, the point is is that, uh, you know, they're not going to be making a lot of deals in, 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 in these situations. We're going to be signing more free agents now. Uh, are they counting on the new ballpark and the revenues generated by that to uh, to say, you know what, we're going to get in this now? And I, I just have a little bit of a feeling that. And I a- didn't I didn't answer you directly because you asked that question yeah. the last time. And yes, I mean, I mean, I, uh, in citing those two examples, I think yes, they're willing to be legitimate players. Do I think that they, you know, they came up a little bit short on these guys? Yes, I do. But I think they are, are willing to be players. And I do think to some extent, you know, fans get more excited about a new stadium than free agents do. Mm-hmm. The free agents are going to have to come here. Potential free agents are going to have to come here, experience this place, actually be comfortable, know that, hey, it, it, it's it's a different environment than it was at the old ballpark. And I think that that will make it a little bit easier to attract guys next year. But once you go out and you get a Kluber and you get if you get an Arenado, you've demonstrated to people that you're serious. Uh, and and the yeah. the biggest element in all this is, listen, I've seen stories over the last couple of days. The Yankees gave Garrett Cole a nine hundred dollar bottle of wine that he had had in France with his in Italy with his wife during a trip 
several years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was a great detail and a great touch. Um, The Angels, Mike Trout, talked to Anthony Rendon a bunch. And when Mike Trout is... Is pursuing you? That's that's very complimentary. Rendon also talked about Artie Moreno uh, coming and talking to him personally as well. Yeah. Uh, Rangers ownership went and talked to 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 Rendon personally as well. They did. Do you think that that, that Ray Davis's conversation is going to sway anybody? I, I listen. My point here is what sways guys are three hundred and twenty four million dollars. Uh, I agree hundred percent. I understand and, that. And in the case of the Yankees, the chance to win, in the case of the Angels, a chance to play with the best player in the game. Yeah. If you're the Rangers, the new stadium isn't as much of an attraction. If you put a winning product on the field and a nice stadium and a good place to play and your dollar goes farther and you put a a competitive effort on the the table, now all of a sudden you've got something to lure guys with. I think you're underselling the the stadium a little bit. And not that it's new or nice. It's just going to be comfortable. And I go back to my conversation many years ago with Kenny Rogers when he told me pitchers don't want to come here. No, I, I, pitchers you know, have not it, wanted it, to come. It's here. too hot. I mean, and and I don't. There's no underselling that. It's not just hot. It's not. It's hot if you're in the if you're a fan sitting in that on that field. I would bet it's ten degrees hotter. Correct on the surface of that field than it is whatever they're, it's been smoked it's not been an attractive and it wears out pitchers i think koji uehara whose name i butcher every time i say it cost them a world series because he hated it here so much and underperformed so much had he been what he should have been and was when he went to the red sox after he left texas the rangers would have a world series because ron washington could have turned to him and said hey our closer just melted down i need you to go in and finish this game for us you know, and they would have won the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so against the Cardinals. So at, at any rate, I, I think that it will have an effect. I think that that pitchers are going to much more feel like this is an okay place. To oh, come. I'm just I'm saying I'm saying that the new stadium is not going to lure a free agent here this year. I think that once ple- people have come here, played, know that the place mm-hmm. is going to be comfortable, yeah. and feel like the team on the field has a chance to compete, Absolutely, yes, it's going to be attractive. Absolutely. And I think the Rangers feel like they're going to be in a position starting next year where they can both bring some guys from the minor leagues who can fit into a major league rotation and can and import some star, some, some star pitchers. All right, here's where we're going to go around here because I want to talk about some Mavericks before we stop talking about the Rangers. I'm not going to ask you the starting lineup on opening day. Mm-hmm. I'm asking the starting lineup in June, June 1st. <laughs> I, I, I think the catcher is still to be determined. I have a real issue with their catching at this yeah. point. Um, it, it was, here's, it was here's, the, here's the mistake, and we barely talked about this last time. There was the mistake, and you wrote about this, uh, Grandal. Yeah. They should have gone all in on Grandal. It wouldn't have cost you hardly anything. He had a terrific offensive year last year. And as you pointed out, uh, Jordan Lyles Lyles, uh, gave him all the credit in the world for his turnaround. And and a lot of my argument on Grandal and the deal, which looks, you know, a four-year, $73 million deal right now, looks like a bargain in this market, right? Absolutely. Um, But the Rangers' war from the catching position last year was minus 3.5. It was the worst position war 
by any team at any position on the field. Mm-hmm. It was the single worst position in baseball. Quit, quit tapping your foot. If you got a guy that was worth two or three games back there, you know, that's a seven-game swing. Yeah, and, that, and that's a big difference. It, it, it is a big difference, and it's a place where you can make a significant impact. So I, I, I still think their catcher is still to be determined. Now, if they were to get Arenado, if they miss out on Arenado, do they go to the Cubs and try and talk about Wilson Contreras? Um, if they don't go that route, I still think they're going to add a catcher, and they'll take whoever's left from the – Robinson Trinos, Jason Castro, Martin Maldonado group. And it may not, you know, I, I love Robinson's presence and I love his power. Um, and it, but, but these guys may not be real needle movers, but it still will improve the catching, uh, the catching war. And a guy like Trinos at least brings you a legitimate tool, which is the power. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that that's a, that was a real mistake by this organization, uh, thinking that oh, pit, we're going for pitch framers here. We're going for guys who can who can coach up our our pitching staff. That's all well and good. I look at what the Astros do every year. They're looking where can we get the most offensive catcher. You know, they don't seem to care about it, and uh, it doesn't also seem when you've them. got great pitchers, you don't have to worry about and trying then, to yeah. to. And, and it, it might have been a situation where the Rangers got too caught up in detail. I get it, I understand it. You know, I just think they may have overthought themselves a little bit last year. Yeah. I have, I think I've been pretty consistent on this that I thought from the day that they declined the option. Um, it was not a great deal, and I think they asked too much of Jeff Mathis last year. They did. Um, the encouraging part was Jose Trevino did show some power in September. Uh, does that? How does that play out if he plays eighty games? I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot to ask of him. But I will say this: if if I if I'm going to play Trevino or Mathis, well, that's a no brainer. Yeah, you know, this is the guy who won two Gold Gloves in the minor leagues. Uh, what the heck? You know, let's move on. All right, move around the horn here. First base. First base. <laughs> Again, still to be determined. I, I think they're going to, at the very least, find a platoon partner for Ronald Guzman. Is C.J. Crone a possibility? I think he'd be a possibility. He's a right-handed hitter who hits left-handed pitchers really well. You've always got Guzman to turn to in defensive situations. Um a short-term if, deal with him, I think, would be great. If they don't get again, if they strike out at third base, there's all kinds of pieces in in play. They have had some conversations with Scott Boris about Nicholas Castellanos. Castellanos, he's never played first base, but my my information is that he would consider playing first base. He gives you some power. He gives you some on base. How good defensively? Don't know. Second base. If Ruggio Dor has a bad start, Man, is Nick Solak going to be the second I thought player? one thing that got said at the winter meetings that really went kind of um, under underplayed and basically because it was tossed out on, on the morning everybody was scrambling, but John Daniels left open the possibility that Nick Solak could beat out Ruggio Dor straight out at the end of spring training. I don't think that happens, but I think if this guy gets off to another bad start like he did not last year, Nick Solak, providing he's not involved in a trade for for, for another piece, is is this team's second baseman uh, on June? Based on what you're saying, June one. Uh, real quickly on, on Nick Solak, he's a very intriguing uh, hitter to me. Uh, a very odd look at the plate, but he really covers the plate a lot, and he's right-handed, uh, and he's not much of a defensive presence, obviously. But uh, he just looks like a guy who's going to put the bat on the ball a lot. Yep. And it would it would behoove everybody not behoove it would benefit everybody if Nick Solak 
is in more of a utility position next year yeah, because probably. it would mean that Odor has bounced back. Yeah, and it would mean that you can you can spot up um, Solax uh, games against some left-handed pitching uh, on days when maybe you've got a pitcher who's a more of a flyball pitcher going. You can you can you can make the advantage as great as it can be. Uh, if he's your everyday second baseman, then it means that Odor's either hurt or has failed. So, mm-hmm. in a perfect world, Nick is getting four or five starts over the course of the week, or appears in four or five games, but isn't necessarily anchored to any one position. Uh, and, and of course, the question then is, how does Ruggie handle the if he gets benched? How does he handle that? Uh, listen, if he it's a, it's the same thing that we've talked about with Noam Mazar, and it's the same thing you just talked about with. Um, uh, with Delano De Shields, I'm sorry. This is this is professional baseball, and yeah. uh, you, this guy's been given over 2,000 plate appearances and a long-term contract. But can you keep him as a utility player? As I'm a utility asking. player, uh, no. He's he's a bench guy at that point in time, and then you're just looking to offload him. Right. We've already we know Elvis is going to be starting a shortstop. Uh, I think there's questions about you know what Elvis is going to be, but yes, uh, there there's no remedy there. Right. Uh, third base we've already talked about. Right. Uh, in the outfield. Willie Calhoun in left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Santana in center. Joey Gallo in right. And I think that gives them a better defensive look than they've had for a couple of years. Yep. I think it gives them, uh, makes the most use out of Joey. I think there's room for Danny to continue to grow as a center fielder. I think he, he goes and gets the ball well. He's got good speed. His arm is probably a tick above average. I don't know how accurate I would I would label his arm. Um, Willie is it's a it's a much better arm than Delino's. Yes, Willie Calhoun I think improved significantly last year, but I would still call him at best an adequate defensive outfielder. He is working this offseason on explosiveness, um, and if he makes if he makes continued improvement, I see no reason why he couldn't get himself to be an average defensive left fielder, and that's fine. That's mm-hmm. absolutely fine. Rusty Greer, you know, for all the dives and everything, Rusty Greer was an average defensive left fielder. Mm-hmm. He was great because he played hard, he got on base, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, you, you could – Basically, you don't want guys diving for balls. You don't if you don't have to. It no. ends up ending guys' careers early, and unfortunately that's what happened with Rusty. Yes, that's correct. If a guy's playing in the position right most of the time, he doesn't have to die. Correct. So, uh, in uh, and then uh, Shin Su choose your DH. Correct. Uh, unless he is put in a deal. Correct. I don't see him being put in a deal to Colorado. No, I don't. I don't either. Um, because you're not looking to mitigate any of the money. And if choosing your if choose your DH an occasional outfielder with you rotating Willie and Danny and and Joey in some fashion through the DH spot, or maybe even some other guys, and you're keeping everybody fresh, you're fine. I, As a fourth outfielder, um, an occasional starter, I still have no issue with Chew out there. Is that, a, is that a Cub Scout pack, Willie and Danny and Joey? Yes. Wow. Okay. All right. I want to shift focus now. we got just a couple of minutes left. I, I do want to talk about the Mavericks. We cannot let that go. Unspoken, what they are doing. Uh, I was in Milwaukee you know, uh, subbing for uh, Brad Townsend. My first, you know what? I, I I don't think I've ever been to Milwaukee, except to fly in and then drive to Green Bay. It had been uh, it had been twenty years since I'd been to Milwaukee when I went last year. Really? And I celebrated by throwing axes. 
We went to an axe throwing bar and threw axes. And I, <laughs> you didn't mean guitars either. No axes. <laughs> and um, there was alcohol involved, which I think is a perfect mix for oh, al- sure. alcohol and yeah. axes. But oh, yeah, yeah. it all worked out fine. We had a lovely time. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Gina was better than you. Uh, Gina did not go. And, oh, she didn't go. No, this was. Oh, okay. I went with the other ball riders. I was sociable for a change. Oh, there you go. Good for you. Um, they they played a whale of a game against the Bucks and, and won that game. Uh, started out a little bit slow and then just really poured it on and they and they played great. Porzingis was terrific uh, in that game. Uh, they got several great performances in that game. Juxtapose that against last night's game against the Celtics. Uh, they're winning the entire game. They're playing really well, and then it comes down into the end of the third quarter. Uh, they got stuck on 69 for, it seemed like, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes uh, where they couldn't buy a basket. And, and then for the fourth quarter, they couldn't. Uh, Przingis fouled out, uh, and uh, Jalen Brunson had a poor game. He had such a great game uh, against the, the Bucks, mm-hmm. and then played poorly. It pointed out to me once again, this team has to make a move for, a, for another player. Yeah, I mean, this team has there, – there have been some guys who at different points in times in the year – whether it's Porzingis or whether it's been Hardaway or 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 whoever, they've they've had some nice games, but there hasn't been a consistent no. second threat um, beyond Doncic. And with Luca out, it's about surviving until he gets back. Correct. Um, and, and it just does underscore again that this team uh, is uh, exciting. It's fun to watch. It's got a lot of upside. But right now, I still feel like you have to approach it with the idea that. Beyond Luca, it's it's flawed, and you're a you're a 500 club without Luca. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, probably. I think mean, uh, most teams are without a superstar. Right. Is 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 not as good. I, I think they're probably a little better than that. I was struck by something that Mark Jackson said uh, during that game, and I want to preface this by saying I have written this. Uh, Did I, it hurt when you got struck? I was struck right here, right above my. You see this little mark right here. Uh, is that I wrote a column, uh, I, I called Jerry West to talk about Luca. I was trying to get him to compare him to Oscar Robertson. Uh, he didn't really want to do that because he, he, he basically said, I don't think Oscar ever took a shot over 17 feet in his life, uh, which was funny. But he, he said a lot of very interesting things about Luca. Uh, and watching the game last night, Mark mm-hmm. Jackson on the broadcast said, he's a combination of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. That's a stunning thing for somebody to say. You're not. He didn't. He didn't pick. You know, uh, a, a couple of flubs here. Well, no, you you didn't. You picked the you, you picked the two guys who pretty much represented the 1980s, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I I think he's a little bit more athletic than Larry Bird. Um, a little. Uh, I think you know the one thing that I always really am, really really loved about Larry Bird beyond. Beyond all the other stuff was just the amount of effort he put in. Oh, and, and incredibly intelligent. And and Luca does the same thing effort wise. Yeah. Um. You know, I. I it's hard. Be, Magic was six nine. Yeah. He was six nine, and Luca's a big man, and he's yeah. got a lot of strength. But I, I, I still think it, you know Magic played Magic played some center. Yeah, he played all over the place. Uh, and and Luca to me is is really. He's a guard who occasionally can kind of play yeah, something play of a forward. forward. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but I, I also 
I've been stunned by what I've seen. He's he's true. Especially from what came from where you were at the start of the season. Yeah, because I didn't want to put said, too much pressure on him. You said he shouldn't even be starting. I don't think I said that. I, I just said I don't wanna I don't wanna make this guy into a general generational player before you have to. And it's the same thing, you know, I we we tend to go towards these towards these provocative comps. I can't argue that he's got a lot of traits that Magic and, and, and Larry had, but I also feel like it's it's really hard to say, okay, we're going to take the two two of the three best players of the 1980s and ro- roll them into one guy and say this is that guy. But here's the thing about this, and, and, I, and I take your point, and our friend Barry Horn has constantly done the same thing with me. This is not me and you saying this. No. It, it, this is Mark Jackson. This is Jerry West. These are, these are people who are – Died in the wool NBA guys you, who spent their entire careers in the game. You talk lives. to anybody, fan, expert. Here's what they tell you, and this is to me, to me, this is all the sell that you need. Is that it is worth it, even if you're not a, a, a an NBA fan anymore, or you've lost touch with the NBA. It's exciting and fun to watch this guy play because he does something on both ends of the court. He does it with the ball. He does it without the ball. Um, and you just appreciate it. Uh, even even the little touches like, you know, the 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 speech he made to the crowd oh, in, in Mexico in Spanish. In Spanish. Yeah. Um, you think maybe he won't become the most uh, – Mexico's favorite player? Oh, he, well, he, he's – He's got all kinds of international appeal, right? Oh, absolutely. He played in Spain, absolutely. from Europe, um, speaks Spanish. He speaks several languages. So I, he's – I was asked – I was on MLB Network last week, and they were asking something about him because there, he is just – he has created a phenomenon. And, and I just want to make sure that you don't put him in a situation where he can't live up to the expectations. People are doing that. Though. Yeah, I know. And that's what, and, and but that's what you do with great talent, and right? When you, yeah, when you see, and that's the amazing thing, though, to me is that, that when this Jerry West column comes out, I don't want to talk too much about it, but what he said to me was was stunning for a guy who's eighty one years old and has seen the NBA's he's seen, entire rise, and, and, he, and he still works. I yeah. mean, he still works for the Clippers. Uh, I mean, I just so, I, I cringe the first year or two after Mike Trout got to the big leagues, and people talked about Mickey Mantle type talent. Mm-hmm. I cringed. Right? right, but here we are in 2019, he's and people are saying he's better than Mickey Mantle. Yeah, um, and, and I can't thing, argue that. Healthier, yeah, I can't argue it. So, I, I just I understand that we we tend to look at the top ceiling, and if this guy reaches his absolute top ceiling, my God, yeah, he's he, yeah he's the international superstar that the NBA that the NBA has always craved. Right, Correct. so. All right, I got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Let's go. I'll talk to you next week. Oh, and and happy holidays. We're not going to have another one. That's right. This is the last um, uh, ballsy podcast of the decade. Um, (laughs) You know, 2020 actually counts as part of the I I know, but everybody everybody just throws that aside. They just do. And they, so we'll be back in early 2020. Kevin has a, a Christmas party to host this weekend. So do I. Um. Uh, then it's Christmas. It's my stepdaughter's birthday. It's New Year's. It's um, all the bowl games. And after that, we'll come back. And at that point in time, maybe the Rangers will have Nolan Arenado. 
Maybe we'll know if Oklahoma's playing in the championship game. Maybe the Cowboys will be in the playoffs. Maybe they'll have a new coach. We get a, we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about in 2020. Nah. All right. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. Happy everything. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.